Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Justin Wieners. Justin is a senior product designer at Storyblocks. And if you haven't heard of Storyblocks, we've actually used it here at Crema and are a big fan of any tool that allows us to create faster. And they are the home of unlimited stock video, audio, and images built to help your business create more effective video. Now, Justin has been actually a part of the Kansas City design community for a long time. But as he joined Storyblocks, it was really fun to hear the the structure of how they put their teams together and the value of a designer working hand in hand with the engineering team through their squads or through a partnership or at least through a relationship. And that's what I loved about talking with um, Justin is that he had this, this desire to see not only that a designer understands what a developer will need to do or an engineer will need to do, because maybe they spent some time to learn how to do engineering themselves, but also that they have a relationship that actually allows them to be effective working together. We got a chance to talk about learning and how we got into this space and how we grew and really how the core principles of design are still true today in our products that we use and love. So I think you're going to love this conversation. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have this conversation, but I'm going to throw it first to you. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your story, your background, and what you do every day? Cool. Yeah. I uh, My name is Justin Wieners. I am a senior product designer at Storyblocks. Um, Storyblocks is a video library for creators and marketers uh, who need extra footage or... Um, music sound effects for the stuff that they're making um and i'm a like a photography camera nerd and so it kind of fits perfectly i'm building stuff for people like me which is which is really fun and it helps you kind of get into the headspace of becoming the user you know so it's it's been a good spot for me i've been there for about a year now Tell me a little bit about how your your teams are set up so especially in an organization like that that's that's definitely iterating on a product, but you have a pretty stable long-term product, uh, has a good reputation in the market. We, we've used it here at Crema. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what your team looks like to, to keep working on it. Yeah. Um, so we have, uh, seven different designers on our design team and we're all kind of split up into different, we focus on different areas of the company. So we have one designer on growth who works with the squad of engineers and product people on that. We have a uh, designer on uh, marketing who works with, you know, marketing and social teams and that kind of thing, supporting them. And I work on uh, a workflow team. So I'm with engineers and product people, and we're trying to solve like uh, workflow problems for our customers. Like how can we speed up their searching for video? So we're working on a Premiere Pro plugin to kind of help cut out the, the middleman of that and... Uh, we work on a easy to use video editor so that if you don't know how to use Premiere Pro, you can kind of jump in and do it kind of in a fun, simple way. So it's all about like finding the different area or the different steps of the process for video creators and meeting them there and solving those problems. So you mentioned you're a part of a design team, but it sounds like your day to day is actually with your squad. Is that is that correct? So what does it look like? You said uh, a squad of engineers. What might a squad size be, or kind of what are the roles across that team? 
Yeah, it is. I think you're right. I probably do spend more time with my squad than I do the design team. Um, the design team, we have like weekly check-ins where we kind of walk each other through the projects we're working on. And so we can kind of stay connected, but mm -hmm. I spend most of my time like with uh, a group of about five engineers and one product manager. And so uh, we kind of have like the triad model of uh, product designer, lead engineer, product manager, and we're kind of like working on what's next and how are we going to approach these projects? How are we going to build them? How are we going to design them? And then we have uh, three or four other engineers that are kind of like more tactical, picking up Jira's, you know, knocking, knocking tasks out and stuff. Um, so that's kind of how that squad works. It's, it's, I think it's six or seven people. Now, if I'm right, you've told me that you are, you actually did some engineering. You actually did some coding before you went full on designer, which at least in my experience, it tends to go the opposite direction most of the time. I mean, um, we, my first employee was a designer because we were first a design agency before we kind of became a full product consultancy. But very quickly, he was like, oh, I can build these things. And so he ended up going towards the development route. But you, you, I, as I understand, you went the opposite. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's, it's not necessarily that it was the opposite, but it's like they both happened at the same time for me. Oh, okay. So I went to, I went to school um, hoping to work in like advertising design or maybe advertising copywriting. But my like digital was like everything. And so my first job was actually building marketing websites and this team actually like designed them and coded them and so mm -hmm. i i didn't really like invest any time in code while i was in school you know like i think the dream for everyone is like doing magazine design or something you know so <laughs> so basically i had i had one week in between graduation and starting this job and i went to barnes and noble and i bought a html book and kind of like learned the basics of how to code and like made some really, really bad prototypes. And then um, I had like a really good team in that first job who like were super supportive and kind of taught me along the way. And, but, but that was really foundational for, I think my career and just learning how, how things are built, how things are put together, what are the ingredients and how do you speak that language? Um, so I still like, 12 years later, lean really heavy on that. And like those connections and those relationships with engineers. Um, Cause once you like, you, re you really need to build trust with, with your, with your team, because like as a designer, I can't do anything unless the engineers are there to like, help me implement this in the way that we want. Um, I love that. Uh, our stories are very similar actually. So my background uh, was in graphic design but I was definitely into computers early on. And it sounds like I was around before computers. I wasn't, they were totally around, but like, <laughs> you, like you said, graphic design was a print. I mean, most of it was print it was collateral work, right? Cause that's where advertising kind of really the basics of it were established. Yeah. And that's where the, the money was if you wanted to get into that space. But this is the dawn of like early websites. I was building websites for all my friends' bands. And then, then it became this like, oh, cool. I could, I could do this professionally. And I got a job at a tiny little agency 
that I was doing their websites and I was both designing them and writing the HTML. Although to be fair, back then I was like literally doing like table-based layouts using yeah. like Dreamweaver, <laughs> I think was Adobe Dream, well, Macromedia Dreamweaver probably before Adobe. Um, and then, but it taught me, like you said, it taught me the conventions of what was possible or how how the browser works, right? Understanding yeah. how things float, how things stack on each other, how you can layer elements. How and then, and of course, that only became more useful when we started building larger scale applications. To go, I'm not going to design that because that's not. I mean, yeah. yes, it is feasible, feasibly possible, but it's not. It's not. It's not how it works. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm curious then, when you go in. So let's say you're. Your team, you, or I guess you could use, well, I don't want to use the Premiere example, but say you're doing that that online editor, right? You're coming in and you're saying, okay, I know that there are a certain set of constraints within the way that I can approach this problem at hand, right? This design change or this new feature or this new addition. How does that, how does that look? What, how does your team come together or um, plan what they ought to do first? How you approach this, research it, design it. What does that look like? so that you can uh, make sure that you're moving forward, considering the engineers in mind, but maybe not going like, hey, start building this and I'll just sit next to you and we'll design and build it together. Yeah. What's, what's that process look like? Cool, yeah, so um, like an example that happened in the last uh, six months is, so we work with a lot of marketing teams and the way that marketing teams are set up is you have, you know, you have like some some producers who are like creating the content or that type of thing. And then you have other people who are just kind of like stakeholders and aren't necessarily as like creative minded or like into the the weeds. And so we wanted to set up like um, basically like brand standards for a mm. marketing team in our video editor so that yeah. someone who was like good at setting up colors and fonts and font sizes and that kind of thing could go in, set it up and then share it with their team so that then the rest of them can get in and like there's consistency with all of the content they're creating. Right. And so like we, I think as a company, we kind of knew like this is a thing, this is our audience and this is how they work. And so as a product team, we have what's called like a, like a weekly brain trust meeting and we will, it's a product people. It's our lead engineer, um, data analyst and a researcher. And so like, that's kind of the group where like early on a lot of things are happening and like figuring out what problems we're going to try to solve and like how we think we're going to do it. And then um, the design team, we kind of have this, this routine of like a 30%, 60%, 90%. And so um, like, that's like fidelity or completion. And so I'll go in and start like a 30%, you know, version of how can we solve this problem? And then like, that's when you start learning a lot about, what's going to work, what's not going to work. That's when we'll start doing some different preference tests with customers and seeing like what's really, you know, clicking with people. Um, so early on, it's a lot of just like product research design, you know, bouncing back and forth. But we always have that engineer in the room, you know, because that's a good perspective. That's a perspective we need because if something is super wonderful, you know, for our customers, but it's also impossible or too expensive to build. Like we can't do that. You know, we got to kind of meet somewhere in the middle. It's interesting. I was on a design review today, which I'm not normally in as much as I used to be. And actually I'll be, I'll admit I miss it. I was kind of like, can I, can I join? And, um, we were reviewing, you know, it was a simple data grid of information, but it was beautiful. 
and we had added these filters to the data grid. And, and again, they were beautiful, but I remember, I remember seeing the engineer or like kind of just, we were on a zoom call. So I saw this engineer and as we were talking through it, you could kind of see him like, uh, and so I said, Hey, Hey engineer, um, what, what's your take? You know, you obviously you've been around UX, you're in the front end engineer for a long time. He's like, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's possible. There may be an easier, simpler way. And, mm-hmm. and then it became this conversation where we still wanted it to be beautiful because there, the, the risk is you go, oh, well, the engineer is going to take it. And they're going to just go make it functional, but is mm-hmm. it going to be beautiful and wonderful? And, and th- this person was like, absolutely. Like they, they understood where we were coming from, from a design team perspective. They understood the value of the, the UX and the, the, the consistent um, style that we had across this application that we we're working on. But, but I knew I could see that it was like, you've got an idea. And maybe you're just waiting. A lot of t- times we see engineers are just waiting for somebody to hand them the the designs. Like, just tell me what you want to build. Like, yeah. give me the designs when they're finished, when they've been approved, when they've been tested. Um, if you can give me the Zeppelin file so that I know the, you know, all the code, you know, whatever, whatever you're using, I, I just, I'll just plug it in and we'll, I'll make it work. But when you get that collaboration and there's a conversation, I think it becomes really powerful, right? Yeah, I think what's cool is like, as a designer, I've kind of found that there's usually m- way more than one way to solve a problem, you know? And so like the way that the way that I would do it, it will it could solve my problems, but my team also has different priorities. Like um, the product manager is trying to solve for something that is going to be, you know, good for the business. And the engineers are trying to solve it in a way that is efficient and, you know, like performs well. And so the, the best case for me is not necessarily efficient because I'm going to design something that's super, super awesome and like incredible, but that's not realistic. And so like, what's cool is like, there's a solution somewhere in the middle and that is usually the right one. And that's where we can all like, everyone can solve their own problem. And so it's almost like a more of a challenge, like not necessarily how can we solve how can we solve this customer problem, but how can we also solve it in a way that's good for the business? And how can we solve it in a way that's efficient and like can be built um, in a responsible way? And so it's almost like a second level of problem solving. How can you hit that perfect middle ground? I think it's so good. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a little bit of curveball because I didn't say that I would, I would talk about this before we, we met. So uh, we'll see where you go. I know you've been at Storyblocks for maybe a little over a year now or something like that. Yep. What's what's a moment that you can think back to since you've been there that you went, oh, we made this decision as a team, as an individual, as a, um, even as, a, um, you know, like maybe a squad where you said, we made this decision and either the result was really great and positive. Like it was like, oh, thank God that worked. Like, you know, like that, that turned out the way we hoped it would be. Or... What's one that maybe uh, it didn't exactly turn out the way you had hoped it would be, or you know, like there was some tech debt that there or design debt there. I'm just kind of curious if you have any stories over the past year because that's pretty new. You're still relatively new in the organization with only being there a year. Um, what's a? Do you have any examples of that? It's a yeah, interesting. I, I think sometimes, like some of our some, some problems, I think we've run into is. Like when you're trying to be innovative, you're like really jumping into unknown territory. And so I think part of part of the obstacles that we've faced, like with our 
uh, easy to use video editor. It's called Maker. Is we're going for like we want to make something that's new and and like helpful for people. That's kind of like a part of the industry that hasn't been tapped. And mm -hmm. so whenever you're doing that, like you may not quite know who the exact audience is. And so like we're trying to make these decisions based on like what the the ideal user looks like or what even like who those customers are. But like you don't really know until you get in there, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. part Cause, of... Because you're building a product that you could easily go and look at any other video editor and go, okay, I need a timeline. I need markers. I need to be able to cut. I need to be able to drop clips in. I'm going to be, obviously I need to search for the clips because you have clips, probably have some text layer. So like I'm imagining all the feature set and like the traditional way of doing it is, oh, oh, by the way, every company is basically done it the same way. But since you have the, the opportunity or the permission to have kind of a fresh approach to it and maybe hit an audience that doesn't know how to scrub, doesn't mm -hmm. know how to clip, doesn't, you know, like even these terms don't mean anything to them. Yeah. How do you, how do you bring to them a, something that's still valuable, but not intimidating? Yeah. And a lot of it is for like, you're right. These are the things that you have to check off, but it's, it's almost just as important. Like what are the things we can leave out because yeah. this specific group doesn't know what that means. And it's just going to kind of get in the way, you know, and be confusing. So that's definitely like, I think one of the hardest things is taking like this unknown or this, this known thing where there are examples and there are, you know, like comparisons that you can make, but we're doing it for this different audience that has not seen it before. So like, what do we take away to, to do it in the right way for them? You know? I think it's such a, I mean, even you saying that, how many teams don't ask that question? What's something we can take away to make it better? Because uh, it's almost always inevitably, what can we add to make it better? It's really hard. Yeah. Uh -huh. And there's so many people in the room who are trying to do so many different things, but like you got to draw the line somewhere. And if you're trying, especially when you're trying to make a tool that is simple and easy to use, people who don't know, you know, how this type of thing works it's really hard to take, take things away, but a lot of times that's what makes it better. So well said. Okay. I'm kind of curious about your, your journey. You mentioned that you, you went to school, but then like in between school and getting into your first job, you had this kind of window of like learning. Tell me how, how do you learn maybe now? And how did you learn to get started or have you learned over the years? Yeah. So I think like that time of trying to jump in and figure out how to learn to code, you know, with not being in a school environment, like that was definitely the starting point. And then I think from there, um, like when I started at, at Fan360, uh, which was the job that I had before Storyblocks, um, it was like 2015. And I think like the, the idea of product design was just kind of coming into the mainstream. And so mm -hmm. in the same way that I learned how to code early on in my career, like our team had to learn how to be a good product team. And we did, we did that by like following industry leaders and listening to podcasts like this and, you know, like reading blogs and just kind of seeing what other companies did. And so I think even as a team, you can kind of jump in there and, you know, figure it out along the way. And like, it was really messy and my teammates from that time and I like, we still get together and we joke like 
that was the best education we could ever have because we did so many things wrong. But now, like, we know not to do them and we know what happens when you do those things. And so it was like the perfect way to learn how to be a product team, you know, and we were just kind of winging it. <laughs> uh, so for those that have been listening for a long time, you'll know that maybe 85 episodes ago, this podcast used to be called Option 5. And the premise of Option 5 was basically exactly what you were talking about, which is when Crema was younger, we'll say that, we you know, we were going after projects we had no business going after. And um, we, I remember being here late at the office, literally in the room I'm recording in right now. And we had sticky notes all over the walls about how we were going to pitch this project. And um, one of my product managers stood up on the wall because we had like, you know, literally all the panels of our whiteboard and each panel was one, two, three, four, like a different approaches. We're going to contract it. We're going to you know, use this technology or maybe we'll build it from scratch or we'll do a low, low code or no code option, et cetera. And then he just slapped up and it was like, he was tired. He was ready to go home. We were all done. Right. And he just slapped up on the wall and he was like, or we can just option five it, which is like, we'll just say <laughs> yes and we'll figure it out. Like, yeah. and so it's just that mindset of saying being, there's a whole movement and I agree with the movement in certain areas of saying like the power of saying no, but I actually think there's a really powerful thing about w being willing to say yes. Yes. I'm not qualified to do this, but I'm totally going to take on the challenge and go for it. And then you learn you learn by doing, which yeah, I, I don't know. I never, I was never a very good academic, so learn by doing was definitely how I loved learning. Yeah, that's it's the same for me, and it even like seeps into my real life. Um, like, I don't know how to drywall, but like, we want to renovate our house, and maybe like I'll try it. So like, we're redoing our, we redid our living room downstairs a while ago, and I did the drywall, and most of the time I've kind of found out that like if you want to do something like you can figure it out. It just like, it takes way longer than a professional, you know, and it, it sometimes you miss details. So like all my drywall, all the seams in my drywall cracked, but, and I had to pay a professional to come back and fix that. But I know that now and I would never make that mistake again, you know? And yeah, so like, yeah. even in real life, I think this concept of like just jumping in and figuring it out, it works for me at least, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, my wife always reminds me, she's like, I'm a nurse. I can't just jump in and figure it out, but there is a lot of problem solving yeah, as, yeah. <laughs> as you're, as you're taking care of a patient. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of you as you're self learning, as you, you already mentioned that, you know, your old team used to share resources or books, a blog post podcast. What are some of the resources, your favorite go-to? So maybe it's a, an author or a podcast or, uh, I don't know. It used to be like everybody went to TechCrunch or you know whatever. What's what's the yeah. thing or what was a uh, uh, trying to remember the design blog that was really really popular for a long time. Um, oh my gosh, it's going to drive me crazy. I can't think of it. There was a design blog that like everybody went to, and we're like, oh yeah, did you read it? Well, of course we did. We were all looking at it. Now it's spread out a lot. What are some of your favorite resources if you can think of any off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, like right now I'm kind of uh, something that's interesting about product design as a career is like it didn't it's fairly new and so yeah. like there's none of there's like not much of a history or like elder statesman you know like in this world and so yeah. it's what's hard is trying to figure out okay like i'm getting deeper into my career and i want to get deeper into the history but the history of product design doesn't really exist and so i've kind of been jumping into like creativity in general or yeah, storytelling you know yeah. and so I've 
I just picked up um, Steal Like an Artist, which is kind of, it's been around for a while, but it's good. Yeah. I read that twice recently and just, it's still, it's still so relevant. And I um, found this book called Design as Art um, by Bruno Minari. And it's, he's like a designer, an Italian designer from the nineties. And so like all of, it's all about like, you know, function versus form and it, and in his, in his world, it was billboards or street signs, but all these concepts of like, how do humans recognize the way things work and how do you communicate quickly? Like it still holds up. And so it's interesting to like, look out for inspiration outside of this tiny bubble we're in and see like what you can learn from that. That's kind of where I, I'm at right now. I love that. Cause I, we used to do a lot more internships. We, we have COVID kind of slowed down our internship program, but our early interns in which we actually hired a lot of them, we used to, I used to do this exercise and it was totally, I mean, like I wasn't that far away from being an intern when I started this company. So I was like, Oh, what would I do? What would I do like two years ago? And I used to do a couple things. One was they all had to go learn the core principles of design, like the traditional core principles of design of white, white, um, white space and balance and repetition and all, you know, these core principles because they're still true. Right. And it drove yeah. me crazy when I would see designs online where I'm like, do they not feel that the margin and the padding there make it really like stressful that it's just slapped right up against the, you know, like those types of things. Right. And the second thing was that the internet is basically a series of boxes stacked on top of each other. And so I would have them hand draw boxes for like the first 30 minutes of getting in for the day. And because I was like, here's the deal. You're going to need to, you're going to be on a whiteboard. You're going to be on a piece of paper. You're going to be sketching out an idea. And it's basically just going to be a bunch of boxes. And those boxes will take shape and they'll have style applied to them and you'll use tools. And But effectively, they're still just boxes. And, um, and again, it goes back to those core principles, those basic building blocks of how we, how we make these things hasn't changed much. Yeah. And what's cool about like hand drawing something is it like it gets your body involved and we Mm. just sit at these computers all day long and like you move your mouse, but that's like such a tiny little movement. Mm -hmm. And so even just like writing notes in a notebook or hand drawing rectangles, like you you get some movement involved. And I don't know if you've ever seen like those diagrams of your, your brain, like after a walk, but it's like, like, it's like you're, your brain normally, you know, has a certain amount of activity, but like if you go for a 20 minute walk, it's just like this like disco ball light show because so much is happening and it like sparks all of these different connections in your brain. And so like movement is really important for creativity too. I love that. We literally just the entire office went for a walk yesterday. I have a bunch of theories on walks and like actually the fact that I think that marriages or people that are in long-term relationships, that if they take a walk every day, they will be more guaranteed to stay together because of the action of moving forward. And the fact that you can't, you can't confront each other face to face. Uh, so I love that. I'm going to have to look that up. That's really cool. Yeah. We used to say, um, at fan 360 we would go for walks like after lunch and we would always say like people would be like oh i can't i can't and we we would say oh if you go for a walk the ideas are twice as good and i actually think it's like it's true you know like i like you can spend a few minutes doing it and like you you get back to work and it's just like you're ready to go the discipline's a lot harder when we're at home though right because i mean with a hybrid world or remote world it's a lot harder to remember to get that because you're not you don't maybe have your teammates going let's go for a walk um so i totally understand that 
Okay, so when you're when you're thinking about your teams or these these other whether it's the squads or the way that you regroup with your design teams or maybe just even someone getting into this industry learning to design or code, what's something that you've seen people really struggle with or that maybe they would just straight up get it wrong? What's a, where they go off a, a wrong direction? Yeah, so I think one thing I, I talk about like jumping in and figuring out yourself. I think one trap that people fall into is the the learning like going in a circle when you're learning something, you know, you, you read everything you can find and you watch videos and you take courses, but you don't like jump in and yeah. get dirty. And I think that's where the, the real learning happens where you take, you take like the book knowledge that you have and you like put it into practice and do something badly. And like, that's where you start to really see progress. And then I think another one, like I talk a lot about building relationships with engineers or, that type of thing. And I think product designers kind of underestimate how much time you should invest in building those relationships Mm. because you don't like, like I said, you don't, you need these people to like, uh, you need your engineering partners to like carry the designs to the end, but you don't want your first interaction with an engineer to be like, when the cement is drying at the very end and it's like this confrontation, like yeah. you need a foundation of good connection, you know, long before that happens. And so I think just like underestimating the amount of time you should spend on the front end building those relationships so that whenever confrontation happens, it's it's not bad at all, you know? We're in the business of people. We just happen to design and build apps. Yep. Yeah. I believe it. Okay. That's fantastic. Well, Justin, this has been really, really good. I'm, I'm first off really excited to know that you're a local designer to us. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and, uh, I know that we crossed paths in a couple of different ways. Um, we worked with, this is just a little tangential thing. We worked with fan 360 when it was originally called sporting innovations, Yeah, but like way back in the day. Uh, so it's just really neat to see the people, the talent that came out of that place. Um, and, uh, really see, you taking it to the next level, working with a company now that has a, this global reach um, with the yeah. products that you're building. So well done. Thank you for putting in the work. Thank you for learning. Thank you for growing because uh, that makes us have products that are better and bring more value to the world. Cool. Yeah. You too. Love listening to the pod. Love it. Awesome. That's great. To, I love having people on that have actually listened to it. So that's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, go ahead and leave us a little bit of a review on whatever you use for your podcast. Thanks for coming on today, Justin. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, George. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.